We are in Chagiga Chavav Amalav 26a, less than a whole page in total, left with the entire tractive, with the entire Masechda. We are on a new Mishnah, but the Mishnah is continuing our discussion about when we could believe the Amaaret, those that are less knowledgeable, and also other interesting examples of when we believe people. So this Mishnah goes on to discuss another uh, other situations where we believe the Amar, it's the one who's less knowledgeable in the laws of purity and impurity. And it, we say that This is the case. The case is where you have tax agents. Sometimes the Jews would be agents for the government, for the non-Jewish, the secular government that was in control. And they would appoint Jews to be the tax agents to enter into the homes of other Jews to collect either indiv- specific items or or just uh, other just possessions uh, to give to the government. And so these agents, they go into the house and they take things. And similarly, if you have a situation where you have thieves, they go into the house and they, and they take things. And specifically, Rashi points out that we're referring to earthenware vessels. And now the... Uh, the Ganavim, the robbers, are returning it. They are, they're returning it. They're doing tshuva. They're repenting and they are returning these vessels. So in such a case, we believe them to say, in both of these cases, that they did not touch, touch the items. Meaning as follows. In the first case, with these tax agents, so we believe them to say that they did touch certain things. It's clear that they, they took certain items. And they went into these people's homes against their will to take certain items to give back to the government. But they're believed to say that they didn't touch other things. They didn't, they didn't, you know, mess around with different objects, and they didn't touch other things. So the homeowner could be could could know that their other items are um, are still remain pure. That it's not impure. Similarly, with the case of the robbers, when the robbers return. The earthenware vessels, they're believed to say that they didn't touch the outer part, the inner part, sorry. They didn't touch the inner part, they only touched the outer part. And as we mentioned in the past, when it comes to earthenware vessels, they're different than other vessels in that it only becomes impure if you touch it on the inside, not on the outside. So they only touch it on the outside. They're believed to say this. And then the earthenware vessel that they return remains pure, remains tahor. That is the first set of laws. The Misha will have a few laws here that are really uh, not necessarily connected. The next law is When in Jerusalem, the Amaret is believed with regards to Kodesh, uh, but not with regards to Truma. The Gemara, the Gemara will explain uh, pretty soon exactly what does that mean, that they're believed in Yerushalayim, with regards to what are they believed in Yerushalayim. Perhaps the most fascinating part of this Mishnah is that when it comes to the festivals, when it comes to Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, when everybody goes to Yerushalayim for the holidays, then the Amaaret, the one who's less knowledgeable in terms of, in the areas of purity and impurity, they're believed entirely, not just with regards to Kachim, with regards to the service in the base of Mekdash, but even with regards to Truma, with regards to the other food that has to be eaten with purity, Betahara, they're believed completely, even uh, with regards to... Uh, to Truma, where in general they are not believed. So we're going to have to understand that. Why is it that when it comes to the holidays, 
Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, they are believed uh, for everything. Okay, that is the end of the Mishnah. Again, there were four cases in the Mishnah. The first case of the Mishnah is with regards to the Gabai, the tax collector, and he's believed to say that he didn't touch certain objects when he went in by force. The second case is the robber who returns an object. He's in the earthenware vessel. He's believed to say he only touched the outside of the vessel, not the inside of the vessel. The third case is that in Yerushalayim, there's a case in Yerushalayim where they believed the Amaretz is believed about Kachim. And then the fourth case is that when it comes to the holidays, Pesach, Shulah, when they go to Yerushalayim, the Amaretz is the one who's less knowledgeable is believed with regards to everything to say that something's pure or impure. So the Gemara now, it goes through all of these cases. The Gemara says in the first case that we said that the Gabai, the tax collectors, believed to say that they didn't touch certain objects in the house. Or Menu, there's a Mishnah which seems to contradict this idea. The Mishnah says, The Mishnah says explicitly that the entire house is impure. That we have to be concerned that they t- they ran through it. They, they you know, touched everything. Uh, everything in the house becomes, there's a concern that it became impure. So the Gemara answers, they resolve this contradiction. It depends. Was there a non-Jew who was watching over this tax collector to make sure that they're doing the right thing? And Rashi explains that if there's a non-Jew present who is representing the government, so then there's this fear, and this person's going to go ahead and make sure that he gets everything, everything that he needs, He's going to go through everything in the house. He's going to touch everything just to find exactly that he needs. And then there is a serious concern that the entire house is impure. But if there's no, if the non-Jew is not there, so then he's only going to touch that which he needs and he's going to let, leave everything else aside. And then we could assume if he tells us that he didn't touch it, so then we could assume that it is pure, that it is tahor. It's not. And we even proved this from the that same Mishnah. It concludes by saying, If there's a non-Jew, a Gentile who's with them, so then, they're believed to say that um, they didn't go into the house. If there's a non-Jew there, so then the tax collectors believed to say that they didn't go into the house. But once they go into the house, so then they're no longer believed to say that they didn't touch certain objects. So we only believe the tax collector to say that he didn't touch certain objects if he's by himself. If he's by himself, so then... He doesn't have anybody who's on top of him to watch over him, and then he'll make sure that he only touches that which he needs. The rest of it, if he tells us he didn't touch it, so then we believe him. The Gemara now asks, oh, So let's say there is a non-Jew who's a representative of the government who's together with this Jew who's the tax collector. So what exactly is the issue here? Where is this fear stemming from? So two opinions. Rabbi Yochan and Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Yochan Rabbi Lazar, one says, One is that there's this fear of this actual person, that if he doesn't do the right job, if he doesn't do the correct job, if he doesn't go through everything in the house, so then this person who's watching over him will either uh, physically harm him or financially harm him in some way, and there's this direct fear. It's right away. It's, it's a present. It's a present fear. The other opinion says, He's not, he's not afraid of the person himself who's watching over him, but he's afraid that this person will then tell the, the government, the monarchy, that uh, he's not doing his proper job, that he's not going through everything in the house. And so the fear is really what will happen in a few months when the when the kingdom finds out about it and will punish him. What's the difference? Between, in the end of the day, there's this fear that exists. Who cares where this fear comes from? My Benayah, what's the difference? 
So the Gemara explains, no, there's a very practical difference. There's a very practical difference if this uh, non-Jewish person who's watching over him is really somebody who's not of importance. So then he's not going to punish him. He's not going to. There's no. There's no longer a direct fear that this non-Jewish person is going to cause any physical or financial harm. However, there's still a chance that this person will go to the kingdom and tell them that this Jewish tax collector is not doing a proper job. So that still exists, but the fear, the the the, the present fear, the current fear of this Gentile doing something to the Jewish tax collector that doesn't exist. And that would be a practical difference between these two different reasons as to why uh, this tax collector is afraid. So that concludes the first part of the Mishnah, the first of the four parts of the Mishnah. Again, to summarize, uh, if this tax collector, this Jewish tax collector is by himself, he's believed to say that he went to the house and he only touched what he needed, he didn't touch other things. He's believed to say that. However, if there's a non-Jewish representative of the government with him, so then he's no longer believed and we assume that the entire house is impure, Unless he says that he never went to the house. If he says he never went into the house, so then he is believed. Second case. The second case is of the thief. The thief that goes into the house, he then repents and he does tshuva and he returns the objects. He's believed to say that with regards to an earthenware vessel that he did not touch the inside of the vessel. He only touched the outside and therefore the vessel is no longer, is, is not impure. It is a pure, we assume that it is tahor. It is not impure. The Gemara also has a, a contradiction from from a Mishnah, or Minhu, it says in a Mishnah, We say that if the thief enters into the house, so then wherever this thief goes, we assume everything in that area is impure. And that would seem to include also whatever he takes. If, it, if whatever he walks, whatever wherever he walks around is impure, is Tame, so then certainly whatever he takes also is impure. So the answer to this contradiction is Amr of Pinchas Mishmed Rava Kisha Asu Tshuva. The case here is where the thief uh, went through repentance. He repented and then he's trusted. If he didn't repent and he's really he's forced to give it back, somebody caught him and he's forced to give it back. So then we don't believe him. We don't believe him to say that he didn't touch the inside. But if he's if he's doing this out of his own will and he's repenting, so then we don't we do believe him to say that he didn't touch the inside. I think where it says this is clear from our mission. The it says so in our mission. The cases where he returns the, the vessels on his own. So the case there is where that's the case that he's believed. He's only believed if he repents to tell us that he didn't touch the inside. If he doesn't repent and he's forced to give it back, so then we do not we do not trust him. Moving on to twenty six a four, and now moving on to the third case of the Mishnah. The third case of the Mishnah is that. In Yerushalayim, we believe the Amaaretz, the one who's less knowledgeable with regards to Kachim. What about this? What are we talking about here? We mentioned in the last Mishnah, in yesterday's recording, that we believe the Amaaretz when it's 15 mil away, when it's in Modi'in, about 9 miles away, to tell us that the earthenware vessels, the small earthenware vessels, are Tahar, are pure, because they needed a lot of the earthenware vessels uh, near the base of Megdash, and so therefore... There's this concern for the Amaaretz. We're going to say we no longer have this concern that it's impure if they tell us, if the Amaaretz tells us that it is a pure object because it's something which the Tzibor, the, the community, the public wouldn't be able to handle. Otherwise, they need to have their earthenware vessels. So we believe them when they are nine miles out of Yerushalayim with regards to the smaller uh, kalim, the smaller utensils. But in Yerushalayim itself, they're even believed with regards to the large 
earthenware vessels, the larger utensils. And the reason for that is because the smaller utensils, there was more of a need for it. It was the smaller utensils was necessary for each individual. The larger ones were just for uh, was really for the base of Megdash for uh, for issues dealing with the public, but not for any individual person. And so there was a greater need for the smaller utensils than for the larger ones. So when it came to the larger ones, we only believe the Amaaret in Yerushalayim itself. For the smaller ones, we believe them even nine miles out by Modi'in, ready for Modi'in. And the Gemara explains, Lama, why is this so? And we explained this also in yesterday's recording. Because they didn't make kiln, kilns in Yerushalayim. And the reason for that we mentioned yesterday also is because it really it blackened the walls of Yerushalayim. We're talking about the old city of Yerushalayim here. And that was a disgrace to Yerushalayim, so they didn't make these kilns in Yerushalayim. And so therefore they didn't have earthenware vessels in Yerushalayim, and they had to rely upon the merchants who were coming from outside, and many of them were Amehaarats, were people who were less knowledgeable, where in general there was a concern, but... Uh, often we've had various cases now where we do believe them uh, either because it's necessary or because uh, they act towards it with a greater stringency or we don't want them to uh, go to and have their own base and make this their own temple. There are different reasons as to why we believe them in different scenarios. This is one example, another example of when we believe them. And finally, the last case of the Mishnah, the last case of the Mishnah is that when it, and this last case of the Mishnah is then going to be our discussion uh, for all, for the next couple of Mishnayos until the end of the uh, of the entire tractate, which is that during the festival itself, during when it's the time to go to Yerushalayim on Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot, coming back to the beginning of the Mishnah, our whole discussion of Aliyah Regal of going to Yerushalayim three times a year, we believe the Amaaretz, not just with regards to Kachim, with regards to the food that's used in the service in the temple, but even with regards to Truma, the other food, which has to be eaten in a state of purity. We believe them entirely. Minani Mili, where do these, how do we know this? Where does this idea come from? What, what's, so, what's so different about uh, the holidays? And I think this is a very powerful idea. Amr Bishu Ben Levi, Bishu Ben Levi says, the Amr Kra, the verse says, Vayasef, Kol Ish Yisrael Alair Kiish Echad Chaverim. This is a, a Pasuk, a verse with regards to, not with regards to, the holidays, but with regards to a situation where the Jewish people gather together, and it calls all the Jews chaverim, kulan chaverim, that everyone is called chaverim, everyone is called knowledgeable, meaning as follows: that when we all gather together, when we're all gathering together for whatever the reason is, and the most classic example is when we're ola larega, when we all come together to Yerushalayim. There are no divisions. When we come together, there cannot be a, a, a situation of divisions, of, and we all have to be viewed as together. And part of being together is that we all have to have a status of being a chaverim, that the Amaratu is, we are concerned that they're less knowledgeable and they don't know about the laws of purity and impurity. We don't want to have that division. And since it's only a concern, it's not that we know with certainty that they don't know the laws. It's a concern that something is impure. So we're going to ignore that concern for the sake of everyone being together. We want everyone to be together. We want to trust trust everyone during this time where everyone is gathered together. I, th- I think it's really a beautiful idea that all the Chaverim, they all get together, that all the people are, have the status of Chaverim, of people who are knowledgeable just during that time when they are uh, coming to Yerushalayim, to the base of Mikdash, 
those three times a year when there's this big gathering of the Jewish people. Let's at least begin the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah says, HaPoseach es chaviso biisoso al gav Rabbi Huda Omer Yigmor Omrim Lo Yigmor. This is really an extension of the last case, as we pointed out before. What happens as follows. So, the the Amaratzim, these people who are less knowledgeable, they come to Yerushalayim and they're involved in all the festivities of the holiday. And we assume that whatever they do, they're, they're pure. Uh, and also, perhaps, they're also pure in addition to the reason we gave before. It's also the Rambam Maimani says that there's a mitzvah to go to the mikvah uh, before the holidays. So maybe they also went to the mikvah. Uh, so that might be an added reason. But in the end of the day, we assume that these Ame Ha'aretz, these people who are less knowledgeable in general, we just we give them the benefit of the doubt and we assume that they are all tahor during the holiday itself. The question is, what about after the holiday? There could be various ramifications for after the holiday. For example, if you have a chaver who is a merchant, somebody who is knowledgeable, who is a merchant in Yerushalayim, he's selling barrels of wine or he's selling a dough, whatever the case is, so he has customers who come in. And there, it's normal for the customers to play around with uh, the barrels of the wine or the batch of dough. And so we assume that they're all tahors, that everything in the store is pure. But once they leave, once the holiday is over, so now what? Do we still, do we continue to assume that it is pure or do we assume that no, it is not pure? And that uh, if it's not pure, so then either the, the food is then tummy would be impure and the vessels themselves you would have to put into the mikvah. If it's possible to, you would have to toivel, you would have to uh, purify those vessels by putting them into the mikvah. So the Chachamim say that, yeah, you would have to, during the holiday, we believe them. And with regards to the same objects that they touch, we assume that it's pure during the holiday itself. Once the holiday is over, everybody goes back home. We no longer believe them. And therefore, you're not allowed to use, again, the those uh, those objects, uh, those the, those those utensils. Rabbi Huda, however, argues. And Rabbi Huda says, no, you couldn't finish using them after the festival. What's the reason behind this? For the reason of Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda explained the idea behind Rabbi Huda is explained in a different Gemara, and the idea is that if you're not going to let the merchant use it after the holiday, and he's going to have to throw everything out, or he's going to have to put it into the mikvah, the utensils into the mikvah, but the food he's going to have to throw out, so then he's going to say, you know what, I'm not going to sell anything during the holidays. This is just too much of an ordeal for me after the holiday that I just I won't deal with this. So because of that concern, it's a concept that we will allow something in the beginning. In the end, sorry, because of a concern that something won't happen in the beginning. So out of concern that uh, if he's going to have to go through this whole ordeal after the holiday, he won't sell anything during the holiday itself. He won't sell anything to the Amaratsim or to anybody. He might just close, close his whole store. So out of that concern, we'll say, you know what? We'll be lenient even after the holiday. After the holiday also, you could continue using everything you've been using. We'll assume that it has a status of being tahar, of being pure. That is the next Mishnah, and in the next recording we will start the Gemara for that Mishnah.